Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Before we get started today, I need to thank all of the folks who came out to Ferndale last night, uh, to the Ferndale Public Library, to help us continue the WDET book club discussion of Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha's book, What the Eyes Don't See. We had a really lively conversation with ACLU editor at large, Kurt Guyette, and with Oakland County Water Resources Commissioner Jim Nash. Uh, if you want to participate in the WDET book club, you've got one more opportunity. This summer, September 10th at the Detroit Public Library, we'll have our finale book club event with Dr. Mona Hanna Atisha and Jim Ananick, who is the Senate Minority Leader, who is also from Flint. So thanks again to everyone who came out last night, and uh, we look forward to seeing you again on September 10th at the Detroit Public Library. Also, in the meantime, you can always go and participate in the Facebook group for the WDET Book Club, where there is a lively discussion going on about the Flint water crisis, uh, environmental justice, and uh, infrastructure. So again, uh, September 10th, we'll see you at the Detroit Public Library. All right, up first today, 2020 presidential candidates are starting to roll out one of the most important parts of their campaigns, their rally playlists. Major media organizations, including the New York Times and the Washington Post, this week dove into some of those playlists and asked the question, What do these campaign songs say about the candidates? And what are the candidates trying to say to us when they play these songs at their rallies? We're going to spend the hour today talking about the significance of music and politics in America with some great guests. And we're going to take your calls about the songs that you most associate with politics and politicians. Are there songs that you think of when you think of a particular candidate? Uh, Are there songs that made you think differently about a candidate for president? Uh, Give us a call, 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll we'll, uh, try to work you into the conversation. And we're going to kick it off today with uh, two guests who are giving some real thought to this idea of music and campaigns. Russ McNamara is the host of WDET's All Things Considered. Russ, welcome to the studio. Good morning. Glad to be here. And Jennifer Lena is an associate professor and program director of arts administration at Columbia University. Jennifer, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. All right. So, Russ, I'm going to start with you because uh, you had an experience this week that uh, that highlighted the intersection between politics and music. Tell us, uh, tell us what happened. Well, this is somewhat of a head scratcher. Uh, Mike Pence was at the Detroit Economic Club earlier this week, and "Candle in the Wind," the Elton John song, great song. There it is now. You you know exactly what we're Wonderful talking about. Wonderful song. Yeah. yeah. Very sweet song. A very sweet song. It's been used in memoriam a bunch of times, including a rewrite for Princess Diana uh-huh. following her death. Not exactly a crowd hype kind of song. <laughs> Not going to get you worked up about presidential politics? I, I, I don't think so. But uh, in you know this was something that President Trump had rolled out during the 2016 campaign, something he's continued to use at his rallies. Mike Pence has also used it, obviously, now. It's just, uh, uh, you wonder, and they both seemingly have, so I'm have a wondering, taste for it. I mean, I, I feel like this is that kind of, the kind of song that if you're standing in a crowd 
people would kind of sway back and forth to, right? Yeah. Like, kind of get into it. So maybe that's what they're going Or maybe for. just raise a candle up <laughs> at a vigil. <laughs> right? A vigil for the president or the vice president? I, I guess. <laughs> I think that is a, I think that's a really interesting and kind of funny uh, uh, use of a song in a campaign. It's, it's, it's very strange. It's not they, predictable. They like Elton John. They use Tiny Dancer. Uh, which, again, uh, used very well in the movie Almost Famous. Sure. And, uh, but a different vibe, I would think, at a presidential campaign It's rally. not exactly the kind of high-energy song, you know, anthemic kind of song that you tend to associate with presidential campaigns. No, no, not at all. It's uh, very low energy, uh, and, <laughs> and it's kind of a surprise. Right. Uh, an- another, another group that's the... You know, president likes the Rolling Stones. Yeah. He's used uh, again some interesting imagery with "You can't always get what you want." Yeah, <laughs> uh, by the Rolling Stones. That's uh, pretty good. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it happens. You know, he rolls out you know, the Rolling Stones. Time is on my side as well, um, and he's using a, a song that I'm. It is most definitely a jam. Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones. Yeah. It, it, it's a terrific rock song. Yes, with a with a big if, if you completely ignore the lyrics. Yeah, right. You have to you have to overlook the really offensive nature of uh, what the Stones are saying in that song. Don't yeah, you? It, it opens, and I'll I'll do a dramatic reading here. Okay. Uh, uh, it opens with Gold Coast slave ship bound for cotton fields, sold in the market down in New Orleans. Scarred old slaver knows he's doing all right. Hear him whip the women just around midnight. Yeah, I mean, it's not that, I mean, again, I think context is everything uh, when you're talking about these things. This is written at a very different time uh, in America than than now. I don't know that you'd get away with writing a song like this and get it played on the radio today. No, I'm not sure either. I mean, you know, talks about underage sex. Yes. Well, that Sex was, with prostitutes. That was kind of a theme for lots of the Rolling Stones. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it early, certainly was. Right? Yeah. All right. Russ McNamara, host of WDET's All Things Considered. Thanks for coming into the studio. Thanks, Stephen. appreciate it. Yeah. So, Jennifer Lena, uh, I, I want to start with you with that, uh, that example. Uh, Vice President Pence, President Trump, both of them using Elton John songs at campaign rallies. This is not the kind of fair we're used to for presidential campaigns. What do you imagine that they're trying to communicate uh, by choosing those songs? Yeah, well, it's it's obviously not the first time that the content of a song that's being used by a president has been ignored in favor of its recognizability. So, you know, the sort of famous use of... Uh, Born in the USA during Reagan's 1984 uh, campaign is the first one I would point to. Mm-hmm. You know, this uh, sort of notion that it was being read as a patriotic song when, in fact, it was very much the opposite. Yes. Uh, this strikes me as applicable in the case of Candle in the Wind. You know, one of the things that you notice when you look at particularly the Republican candidates for president uh, with Pence and Trump included is that they tend to favor things that... You know, you'd hear uh, pretty much anywhere you'd go in the globe, you know, sort of ubiquitous music. And that kind of music 
uh, it can get detached from whatever the original context or intention or even what the lyrics say. Yeah. So so uh, let, let's start at sort of a uh, uh, high level here with, with uh, some discussion of the idea of campaign music and what candidates are trying to communicate or make people feel when they choose these songs. Is this a deliberate kind of uh, play at emotion or is this just uh, something that they do to try to, you know, pick songs that people might like and maybe dance to? Yeah, so both of those and I think more. And one of the things to pay attention to when you look at the New York Times um, sort of interactive graphic package this week is that you know, at the very bottom, they explain how they gather the information. And it's important to note that some of these things are playlists that the candidates or their campaigns created. And other lists are just sort of a reporter there paying attention to what's being played over the loudspeakers. Mm-hmm. And those are two different kinds of things, right? The, the latter is obviously, you know, when you're standing waiting half an hour, an hour for an event to start, whether it's a political event or, say, at a concert, the idea is to kind of keep the energy level not at its peak, but rather at like a nice simmer so that everybody is ready to go once the main performer gets on the stage. But the playlists um, are a little bit different because those seem to be about either or both communicating the candidate's platform, right? You look at Bernie Sanders' playlist and it's chock full of songs that are trying to communicate his platform. And in other cases, candidates are trying to communicate their tastes, mm. right? Beto O'Rourke's playlist is like obviously something that he, music that he probably listens to on a daily basis as he's on the campaign trail. Huh. So, you know, these are two different purposes. And so the songs are probably different, right? If you're playing to a big arena to get everybody in the right mood, you want to pick generally recognizable songs. But your walk-on song, that should really campaign, that should be campaign-focused. Yeah. And and as you point out, uh, you wrote a few years back uh, a piece called The Campaign Songs and Campaign Wrongs, uh, looking at some of the blunders that candidates <laughs> have made. Uh, you had Born in the USA on that, on that list, uh, Reagan uh, using it as this kind of patriotic uh, anthem and of course uh, Bruce Springsteen wrote that as as a criticism of of America's kind of turning its back on uh, the working class uh, but another one on that list was I won't back down uh, George Bush George W Bush in uh, 2000 talk about uh, the use of of that song Yeah so uh, I won't back down is a great song by the uh, deceased and much missed Tom Petty and his band and um George Bush used it on his 2000 campaign trail, uh, but then Petty threatened to sue, in part because one of the dynamics here is that insofar as a song is being used as a walk-on song or a rally song or strongly associated with the candidate, it can be taken as an endorsement by the artist. Right. And so Tom Petty, you know, clearly standing up for liberal causes was in no way endorsing George W. Bush. Uh, so Bush pulls the song and then added a song by Billy Ray Silas, Cyrus and a song by Van Halen and, uh, you know, sort of more centrist music uh, acts that are more associated with maybe um, Republican or at least uh, slightly more conservative values. And then in a really heartbreaking kind of coda to the story, 
the, the, the news reported that Tom Petty played I Won't Back Down at Gore's house minutes oh, wow. after he conceded the election. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, that is, uh, I mean, and that, that idea that uh, by choosing someone's music for your presidential campaign, you might be co-opting their message. I mean, that's something that comes up, you know, uh, time and again. Artists don't necessarily want to be associated with uh, with these candidates. Yeah, that's right. And if you think about actually where music comes from in America, meaning, you know, all of us who are playing in our local coffee shops and clubs, you know, most music is made at home or performed in small places, not, you know, Tom Petty. He's the exception. So if you think about how ubiquitous music making is, it's really perplexing that artists and politicians don't start working together on the local level, sort of mutually reinforcing one another's work and, you know, moving towards the causes that they care about together in, in a way that would then facilitate using that artist's work once somebody gets to a higher office. It's really puzzling that that doesn't happen, except, you know, we really have uh, declined in our sort of support of local art making in communities. So so maybe that's what's happened is that as a country, we're really not focusing enough on arts and education and childhood arts exposure and, you know, all these pathways that make those careers, both politicians and musicians possible. Yeah, yeah. A little later in the show, we're actually going to talk with Mark McKinnon, who is a co-host of the documentary series The Circus on Showtime and former chief media advisor to George W. Bush. Uh, uh, We're going to ask him about that uh, I Won't Back Down uh, uh, incident with the campaign and uh, Tom Petty. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Jennifer Lena. She is an associate professor and program director of arts administration at Columbia University. We're talking about campaign music, the songs that presidential candidates choose for their rallies or to be associated with their campaigns. There's a very, very long history of that in our country. What do you think of the songs that uh, candidates choose? Is this something that gets you excited about campaigns or about the ideas that a certain candidate may be associated with? Uh, What songs do you most associate with politics or political campaigns? And does music in any way shape your opinion of the candidates? Also, what do you think of the songs that the 2020 presidential candidates have been rolling out? If you were a political candidate, what song would you choose to define your campaign? As always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. You can also go to WDET.org and find our playlist of campaign songs, uh, historical campaign songs. Uh, They go all the way back to John Adams in 1800. Yes, that is how old this tradition is uh, in the United States. Uh, Let's go to Dave in Gross Point. Dave, welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Stephen. Uh, Interesting topic. Uh, Glad that I'm able to comment. I mm-hmm. thought the best campaign song that I've heard in a long time was the one that uh, the Sanders campaign used in 2016, which was Coming to America by Simon and Garfunkel. Hmm. And it just resonated, especially, you know, when you think about the demographic that he was targeting and the fact that neither of the artists objected to him using it, which is pretty common, especially 
when the Republicans co-opt stuff that tends to be, uh, you know, somewhat controversial. Yeah. Um, but I just, I just really like that song. Whether or not it changed my vote, I would say no. And I don't think a campaign song has ever done that for me. But I thought that that Bernie really made a a, a great choice and hit that one out of the park. Uh, that's a really interesting example. I don't remember the Sanders campaign using this song, but it is one of my favorite songs as well. Uh, I think here, uh, Jennifer Lena, this that that's just a kind of uh, obvious play to. Uh, to, to patriotism, which I think is one of the things that candidates sometimes are, are are trying to do with these songs. Yeah, it's it's patriotism, and then it's also interesting the the kind of generational politics of it. So, you know, you think about Bernie Sanders being one of the older candidates within the race, and yet his prime constituency, at least as the news presents it, is very very young. Mm-hmm. So there's a puzzle there. Like, what is it about old music that can motivate young people? And it's very different than what we find with, uh, let's say, the Elizabeth Warren campaign or the Trump campaign, both of which are using quite old music, music from generations ago. And uh, they have older demographics that are supporting them. So there's some sort of interesting nostalgia that the Sanders campaign was able to do with coming to America that I'm not sure that Trump pulls off or maybe even Warren. Mm. Uh, Bernie Sanders is also, or uh, I think in 2016 was, or maybe it's this year, he's using John Lennon's Power to the People, which is a much more obvious tie, I think, to the, the, the message that, uh, that that Bernie Sanders is trying to get across and, and is the kind of song uh, that if you're a Sanders supporter, I think would get you pretty worked up about the idea of him being president, Jennifer. Yeah, absolutely. And it also, it appears to be, let me say, an authentic choice for Sanders, right? You can imagine that this is the music that he's been listening to for 60 years and very much the kind of music that he personally enjoys. Uh And that's another thing that's going on here is, you know, voters tend to be very skeptical of candidates who are manipulating, you know, in a transparent way, their image in order to appeal to American voters. Yeah. We far prefer people who we think of as being authentic. And in this sense, you know, I agree with the caller that Sanders is um, hitting it out of the park in the sense of being authentic to both his platform and probably also his personal taste. Yeah, yeah. Well, and speaking of uh, authentic representations of campaigns, uh, I want to talk a little about 1992, which was uh, the first presidential campaign that I actually was able to uh, vote in. And uh, a candidate called uh, Bill Clinton uh, adopted uh, Don't Stop, uh, Fleetwood Mac's uh, sort of anthemic song. And that was really, uh, I-, I thought, another sort of, it was another example of this sort of genuine connection between a song and its lyrics and a campaign and its message. Uh, talk about that moment in American politics, Jennifer. Yeah, I mean, I tend to agree, although in retrospect, maybe um, this choice hasn't aged very well, given the accusations <laughs> of sexual assault well, made against former President Clinton. Right, right. Uh, but, but I mean, at that point, I mean, his message was that, that we were sort of turning a corner and trying to come out of kind of a dark period uh, in, in American history. This song, 
I, I mean, you almost can't come up with better lyrics to sort of match that message. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think um, what's kind of perplexing about some of the candidates in this uh, race is that they've failed to do that. They've sort of failed to pick songs that clearly articulate who they are in both a platform and a personal level. And, you know, I'm saying that even though the message that Clinton was sending, one assumes, by choosing that song, that's an evergreen topic, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you look down the list of candidates for this year, there are a ton of Democrats, at least, who are saying, uh, in musical terms, something like, let's make America great again. Right, right. Uh, and and how would you, you know, there's a real question about how you, I guess, marry that message to, uh, to to music and and as you say some people are a little more creative about it uh, than 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 others um, I also want to talk about uh, Beto O'Rourke and uh, Kamala Harris uh, you, you talked earlier about how uh, Beto O'Rourke is kind of trying to show who he is and uh, what his musical tastes are with the songs that he's using. Uh, <clears throat> Kamala Harris has also used uh, a Mary J. Blige song, Work That, for her campaign. There again, not so much a message uh, about uh, her campaign, but a reflection of, hey, here's the music Here's the music that I'm listening to when I'm not on stage. Yeah, it does seem to me that Senator Harris has uh, a track list, a playlist that is chock full of stuff that she actually listens to and that comes off as being you know, a very sincere portrayal of maybe her work ethos and her spirit and her um, sort of vision for the character of America in that she's focused so heavily on Black and Latino artists. She works carefully to um, address a different, you know, a range of different kinds of hip-hop artists. And um, that seems to be a very effective way, even if the lyrics in any particular song are not as clearly on message as, say, Bernie Sanders' songs, um, it's definitely a way of saying this is um, the style of country that I want to create, one that is uh, privileging and celebrating the incredible heritage of music made by non-white Americans. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Jennifer Lena about campaign songs and presidents and the, the songs that they choose to try to get us excited. And we are going to get to more of your calls. Kevin in Sterling Heights, Ed in Detroit, and Holly in Troy. You will also be up next. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. I went a-walkin' that ribbon of highway I saw above me Hello, Linden, well, hello, Linden We'd be proud to have you back where you belong You're looking swell, Linden, we can tell you're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. You just heard some lines from a song called Hello, Linden, which was a song used by the campaign 
for President Lyndon B. Johnson back in 1964. Uh, we are talking about campaign songs, the songs that uh, presidential candidates use along the campaign trail to get people hyped up at rallies, to associate their campaigns with a specific message. Uh, my guest is Jennifer Lena. She is Associate Professor and Program Director of Arts Administration at Columbia University. Uh, in a little bit, we're going to talk with uh, Mark McKinnon, who is the co-host of the documentary series The Circus on Showtime and former chief media advisor to George W. Bush. Uh, we all want to hear from you as well. Tell us what you think of campaign songs, the things that you hear either at campaign rallies or in commercials that promote candidates and their ideas. Are these things that penetrate with your uh, sense of who these uh, candidates are and what they might do if elected? How much attention are you paying to the songs that people use? Or do you kind of just uh, go in one ear and out the other? Also, tell us, uh, if you were to run for president, what song would you pick? What song would you want to be associated with your campaign? As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Kevin in Sterling Heights. Kevin, what's on your mind? Good morning. Hey. Uh, for Elizabeth Warren, I would pick uh, ELO's Xanadu for her lack of att uh, attachment to reality. <laughs> okay, Kevin. <laughs> That's pretty funny, but it's a little snarky, too. But <laughs> oh, yeah. We're there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jennifer Lena, talk about... Uh, Sort of the, the idea of poking fun, I guess, at candidates by picking songs. I suppose that's something you could do to your competition, like to the other campaigns, if uh, if you were pretty uh, pretty savvy and on it. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the example of this that I like the most involves the band Guar. They're uh, sort of a very um, um, idiosyncratic metal bands they dress up in these elaborate costumes they're they're terrific musicians but they themselves are this sort of extreme spectacle and um at one point in the last uh, or two in the 2012 election cycle um they were seen to be endorsing um a bunch of candidates for president and um they were also themselves nominated as candidates for president in a list of metal endorsements. And, you know, the thing that I sort of think is funny, like the, the, the caller's example is, I think, very smart in the sense that the songs that could be used to make fun of a candidate or to mock their platform or their objectives or their, um, you know, tone deafness or whatever, they are going to be most useful if they're from outside of the canon of pop and rock. So a song like Xanadu, something that's really associated with kind of a rock opera or music like metal music that's really not associated with, um, you know, mainline politics or the political action in the public sphere. Those are those are great examples of places to go to find funny songs to assign to candidates. Mm. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call, Kevin, and the uh, the funny reference. Let's go to uh, Holly and Troy. Holly, welcome to the program. Hi, good morning. Hey. Um, I was in my uh, senior year of college at New York University, and I um, saw Barack Obama speak at Washington Square Park. And at the end of his speech, we all walked away to Think by Aretha Franklin. Hmm. 
And obviously being a girl from Detroit, that immediately resonated with me. Uh, but I also think it, you know, evoked a lot of memories of civil rights movement and um, kind of at the point, at the time, how far America has come and, and the whole point of, yes, you know, we can, you need me, I need you. Without each other, there ain't nothing we can do. Um, so I feel that, you know, he used the retail a lot, um, obviously, wow. his campaign trail. But that one was super powerful, especially when she died. That was immediate um, memory of mine. That was your memory was of, of that Obama rally. Of See, Obama, I, yes. I, I mean, I think that's, that's a sort of perfect example of what I think the campaigns hope to have happen with some of these song choices that... Uh, you start to identify them with the music and with the memory uh, uh, of that moment. Jennifer Lena, I, I think that's kind of a, a, a big win, I guess, for the Obama campaign with Holly. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great example of music selection done well. We could contrast that maybe with um, the walk-on song for Mr. Castro this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Selena song that he chose is um, arguably one of the most uh, unsubstantial songs in terms of lyrics. <laughs> its prime sort of value is that Selena is obviously an incredibly famous uh, Latina artist, and she is her music is recognizable around the world thanks in part to the wonderful film that was made about her life. And um, yeah, the song on its own merits. The the main benefit it has is that it's danceable and it's upbeat, and yeah. so as a rally song, it's great. But as communicating a platform, it just says, "I speak Spanish to you." Yeah, and it's and it's a little. Uh, even the music is a little. Um, it's just a little silly, I guess, uh, or the, the the tone of the music seems not to to match the gravitas that I think. Uh, if you were Julian Castro, you might be trying to attach to your to your campaign. I, I'm not sure that's a, that's a great choice. Okay. Yeah, it, it yeah, lacks gravitas, and it also has the problem um, that the New York Times reporter has pointed out, which is that it quote reflects the studious dullness of someone who learns about new records from supermarket speakers. Yeah. <laughs> Ouch. So there's there's something here in song choice about like you know being in the same century as the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, Jennifer Lena, Associate Professor and Program Director of Arts Administration at Columbia University. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you, Detroit. Yeah. All right. We're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk with Mark McKinnon, who is co-host of The Circus on Showtime and former chief media advisor to George W. Bush. We're going to continue this conversation about campaigns and music, find out from the inside how some of those decisions get made as always uh, give us a call on the phones to join the conversation 313-577-1019 that's 313-577-1019 we'll be right back with more Detroit Today This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, I'm glad you've tuned in. We're talking this hour about campaigns and the music that they choose to try to associate themselves with 
energy or a message. Campaign songs are as old as the republic itself, and we are starting to see what the 2020 presidential candidates are choosing for themselves. Uh, We are now joined by somebody who was for a while on the inside of this process. Mark McKinnon is the co-host of the documentary series The Circus on Showtime, uh, but he was also the chief media advisor to George W. Bush, and he was responsible for all things media-related, including rally playlists. Mark McKinnon, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Detroit. How you doing? Yeah. Um, so let's talk about when you were the chief media advisor to George W. Bush. What were the kind of things that you thought about when you would choose rally playlists uh, to, to blare over the loudspeakers when uh, the, the president-to-be was uh, coming out on stage? Well, a couple of things. One is that the the bottom line is you wanted to evoke a feeling that reflects the narrative of the, of the campaign and the personality of the candidate. And so with George W. Bush, who, you know, had a real vibrancy for life and, and people liked him because he was authentic and he loved baseball. And that's, you know, there's nothing more American than baseball. And so uh, Creedence Clearwater Revival, John Fogarty wrote a song called Center Field, uh, which is about playing baseball. And, and there's a repetitive lyric in there that says put me in coach Mm -hmm. i want to play which is a you know which is just sort of reflected george bush's enthusiasm about the campaign and wanting to be president and wanting to be part of the the political fabric of america (laughs) so that that was a great kind of song because it was you know it was american it was baseball it was about enthusiasm Uh, another big song on the playlist was tom petty's don't back down so you kind of balance that enthusiasm with also this sort of notion that this is a guy who really believes in what he believes in and he's going to stand up for America and he's not going to back down. So fundamentally, you want a song to reflect the basic message of your campaign. For example, you see in Elizabeth Warren, her her play on song is nine to five, mm-hmm. Dolly Parton song about mm-hmm. working women. Um, so that's a good example. The sort of things that you want to avoid, and it's very easy to get into, particularly when you're working for Republicans, because there's so <laughs> few artists that support Republicans is, you know, you don't want to get in a fight with artists. Right. And you don't want to have artists right. calling you to pull songs down, which, you know, Tom Petty did. On I was going to say that you had a problem with that with Petty, right? Yeah, exactly right. And so, and, uh, so, well, a good example of that is Kirsten Gillibrand. She, you know, her fundamental uh, uh, storyline in her campaign is that she's the most forward-leaning uh, uh, candidate for women's rights. And so, to her credit, she more than any other candidate has, I think, like 74, 75 percent of the of her playlists are by women artists. Hmm. But there was a song in there by a rapper that had a lyric who was arrested for domestic assault. Right, so scared of the dark. When that right? got reported, they had to pull that song. So yeah. that's the kind of thing you don't want to get into because that does just the opposite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I also wonder if you can talk some about the the the, the kind of symbolism that uh, that exists in these songs and whether you're always trying to to, to communicate that like sometimes is it just is it just about music that the candidate likes is it just about music that they think the crowd might relate to earlier in the program we were talking about the use of uh, Elton John by Vice President Pence and uh, President Trump. And it, that, that's kind of a curious choice, I feel like. Uh, and I'm not sure what they're trying to, to communicate there. And so it, it, it makes me think, well, maybe they just like Elton John. 
Well, I'll tell you a little backstory on, about that that maybe I, I, I connect the dots here, which is that that um, President Trump is obsessed with playing arenas and pulling in more people than Elton John gets. <laughs> right. He's talked about that. <laughs> right. So he, when he plays somewhere, his, his bar is always, how many people did Elton John get in here? So he's got this sort of fascination about, you know, and it goes to his sort of notion about how popular he is and how popular Elton John was. And so... You know, in a weird way, in a weird Trumpian way, that makes sense. And, uh, you know, so he's he's also very fond of you can't always get what you want by the Rolling Stones. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but, but mostly, and, I, and I've been to a lot of Trump rallies, it's just super patriotic. You know, it's, it's heavily country, uh-huh. very patriotic, very macho, um, you know, and, and again you hear that playlist and you're in that arena and you, you think, you know, these are exactly the kind of songs that Trump and Trump supporters would like. So, and to your, you know, the, 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 your guest you had on earlier, uh, there's nothing like music that evokes uh, a stronger, you know, sensibility in your emotions because mm-hmm. it takes you back to a time and place. So mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it is, you know, listen, I mean, no campaign playlist is going to make or break a campaign, but, but it's important. And it's, you know, it's that kind of eye to detail. And by the way, Trump plays, the Trump campaign pays a lot of attention to the playlist. They, yeah. they, they, you know, they, they tweak it. They, they, you know, adjust <laughs> it. They, but they pay a lot of attention to it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what you think of the songs that the presidential campaigns are using to get people worked up at rallies. Uh, also, call and tell us if you were to run for president. What would the song be that you would choose to represent uh, your message, get your supporters excited? Let's go to Mike in Chesterfield. Mike, welcome to Detroit Today. Hey there, Stephen. How's everybody doing today? Good. How are you? Good, good. Um, one of the things I want uh, like to say is um, there's an untapped market for candidates to utilize. Uh, of course, you have to deal with things like licensing. Of course, you know you don't want the people that don't want your songs and stuff, but um, things like TV themes or video game vocal songs. There's a lot of inspirational and very motivational songs out there hmm. that are very um, helpful and can convey a lot of messages. The song I would choose if I were to run as a candidate would be um, from the video game Sonic Adventure 2. It's called uh, Escape from the City. And <laughs> in it, um, the, the lyrics are nothing but very positive, motivational, high-paced and uh, the song is super catchy. So, so, so you're literally talking about songs that come from video games? Yeah, so they're vocal songs. They're made by artists. They are. Uh, it's not. It's not like the typical um, video game um, theme songs from like uh, the '80s and '90s. It's actual vocal songs, rock songs that convey messages. And in uh, <laughs> the it's a lot of positive messages. Huh. Mike, I have never, I have never thought about that, uh, and I, I have to say, I have never really even thought about the music that goes into into video games. Mark McKinnon, uh, is this is this maybe a, a sign of the future? Uh, we're going to start to see that, candidates think about stuff like this. That's a super smart insight, you know, and that's exactly the sort of thing that if I were in a campaign right now. You know, I'd have somebody, uh, you know, some millennial on the campaign or Gen X or Gen Y or Gen Z or that would say, hey, old man McKinnon, you know, you, you get away from these old, you know, 90s songs 
and you know, let's get with it. And you know, there's some great songs. You know, there's some great gamer songs. Great, great songs coming out of the game industry, and <laughs> there's a huge audience there. And it sends us, you know, music sends a signal to people. They say they hear a song and they say, oh, they get me. They get where I come from. If they're playing a game, you know, a song from a game that I play, then they're going to say, well, you know, maybe they, maybe they get me. Right. So maybe that's they play a that really game. smart insight from, yeah. from your caller. Wow, that's a really interesting. I, that's something I would never have come come up with. Uh, on my own, Mike. I'm really glad you called and uh, and shared that perspective. Let's go to Mark in Farmington. Mark, what's on your mind? Hello. Hey. How are you? Good. Thank you. So uh, here's what uh, what I have to say. Um, I work in the uh, media industry in the city and in the state. I work on a lot of corporate events, and a lot of my clients ask for walk-in music and music to do transitions, um, and the music they choose uh, is licensed. And this is a problem, uh, you know, they don't seem to know or care about that. Right. And uh, neither do some of the candidates, particularly <laughs> Mr. Trump. Um, I don't think the Rolling Stones like him playing his music, and I think they have cease and desist at him that he ignored. Huh. So that's all I had to say. You know, they should keep that in mind. Yeah, Mark, I appreciate the call uh, and the thoughts. Uh, Mark McKinnon, talk about the process of of trying to, I guess, negotiate uh, when you do choose a song. Do, do you even contact the artist and let them know that you're planning to use it? Do you negotiate licensing and uh, these other kind of things? Or do you just uh, go ahead and do it and then wait for the reaction? No, I mean, as a former songwriter, you lived in Nashville, I was always made sure that, that our campaign, and most campaigns, uh, you know, go by the book. And they, the, the way that they do it is they do a blanket, uh, licensing, which covers you know anything from ASCAP or BMI, which are the song licensing companies, uh-huh. for venues, for concerts, that sort of thing. Now that doesn't mean that the artists approve, and that's kind of the point your caller was making. And you know, if if, if an artist uh, makes us think about it, then they have legal recourse too. And so uh, you know, what you want to do is do cover your licensing, uh, and then hope that the artists support it. And if they don't, uh, you know, then you don't want it to become a news story and, you know, get a message out there that, that the artists are opposed to you're using the song. So okay. generally what will happen is that kind of goes back and forth for a little bit. And rarely does it end up in, a, in an actual lawsuit. Although sometimes it does, like with Mike Huckabee and I of the Tiger, they, he, he, they sued him and he had to pay $25,000. Huh. Wow. Wow. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call. Uh, and the question there, um, let's go to Ed in Detroit. Ed. Welcome to the program. You there, Ed? All right, Ed, you're not paying attention. Uh, Ed, call us back when uh, when you're ready to talk. Uh, Let's go to Aaron. Aaron, what's on your mind? How's it going? Hey. I just uh, wanted to comment on uh, the use of uh, Selena's song by Julian Castro, which Uh uh, I think is brilliant, especially right here, right now. Yeah, Selena broke so many boundaries for women uh, and for Mexican Americans and crossed over huh. uh, as an artist. And if she was still alive, I think she'd be as big as Beyonce or Shakira so, or any pop star. Yeah. And, no. Go ahead, Aaron. And I think if I was going to run for president, uh, Curtis Mayfield, This Is My Country, would be uh, oh, a good song. That's, right a, this that's a great pick, Aaron. Yeah. Uh, thanks for the call. Um, uh, Mark McKinnon, we were talking earlier about <clears throat> Julian Castro using 
this kind of poppy, almost bubblegum pop type uh, Selena song. And uh, Jennifer mm-hmm. Lena from Columbia University was saying she didn't think it worked, that uh, it, it didn't convey the kind of message that he's trying to get across. It, it, it certainly does uh, have, you know, it evokes some cultural references that he's probably trying to make. But, uh, but message-wise... Uh, it's off. What do you, what do you think of, uh, of that I'm, I'm with your caller on this one. I think, you know, for the audience that Julian Castro was trying to communicate with, uh, you know, anybody who, you know, was a Selena supporter and there's millions of them mm-hmm. and particularly in the Hispanic community, I think that's just the right message. He's saying, you know, listen, I come from that era. I listened to Selena and so did you. And so we have a cultural reference point and, you know, the people who, who don't know Selena is and are going to look, you know, are going to dissect the lyrics and what have you, they're, they're, not the, they're not his target audience anyway. I mean, his target audience is Selena supporters, so they're going to love it. Right, yeah. Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting difference in, in the takes there uh, about, you know, whether, whether it resonant, resonates uh, or it doesn't. Uh, I, obviously, uh, it's always something of a gamble if... Uh, if you do that. Uh, all right, Aaron, thanks for the call. Let's go to Brian in Southwest. Brian, welcome to the show. Stephen, um, yeah. so the song that I would come out to is the Motown classic Reach Out by the Four Tops. Okay. But for anyone who has watched say, the Detroit Tigers or their commercials in the last five or six years knows that that song has been heavily used and associated with a certain hospital in their advertising campaign. That's true. So I have to guess about the overuse of songs uh, on commercials and how campaigns adjust that. Huh? Yeah, Brian, that's a great that's a great question and a great point. I love this song, by the way. Um, before I get to Mark McKinnon, Brian, tell me what it is about this song that that you like and and what message you're trying to to, to would be trying to get across there. Sure, sure. So for me, I. I Growing up in Detroit, Motown, you know, yeah. you grow up with it. It's in your bones. It's in your soul. So I think that's a um, straight from the get-go. you got to pick something from Motown. Um, I think this song in particular, uh, more so than, say, Sugar Pie Honey Bunch, is uh, the right <laughs> message that a campaign should um, should um, re- um, should portend that, um, you know, when folks are in trouble, they can rely on their leaders, their government to... Uh, um, to represent them and to stand up and yeah. you know, when you need some help, um, that candidate will be there. Yeah, that's cool. I, I like that, Brian. Thanks for the call and the comments. Uh, Mark McKinnon, he was referring there to uh, the Detroit Medical Center, which uh, has taken that song and made it sort of the centerpiece of their advertising campaign, which runs during Tiger's uh, broadcast here. And, and he's right. You can't hear that song now and not think of DMC, which is kind of the point but then again you know is it too much like are you tired do you get tired of uh of these songs or and and hearing them over and over again that's got to be something that you think about inside the campaigns as well well the bottom line is nobody ever really gets tired of motown right so (laughs) you can't go wrong with Motown, right (laughs) and sometimes it helps to have it being amplified by another source so you know the fact that another entity out there is amplifying it nothing wrong with that um, you know, Motown's just always been very popular for playlists. Uh, you know, and, uh, uh, Stevie Wonder it was, it was always popular. Seinfeld delivered was Barack Obama's play-on, play-off song. Uh, so, you know, Detroit is, uh, you know, definitely uh, ground zero for a lot of playlists. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, before we end the show, uh, I want to talk a little about the circus, which is uh, a show that oh, thank uh, you. that that I've uh, I've really been impressed by for any number of reasons. One of them is just the volume of stuff that you guys seem to be able to get into each episode. Uh, you're coming up on season four. Tell us uh, tell us what's gonna gonna be in that. Well, there's no lack of material. That's the one thing about this show. I thought it was going to be one and done. We'd do a campaign, and that'd be it. And then one week into the administration, the president of Showtime called and said, you know, get back out there. The circus hadn't stopped. And now it's the most watched uh, documentary series of, in the history of the network. Is that right? And wow. that's just because people are so fascinated by what's going on. But to your point, when they first gave us the show, they said, we're going to do 26 episodes. And my first reaction was, wow, that's a lot of TV. There's going to be weeks where not that much is happening. That's never happened. And <laughs> our challenge is always, what are we going to cut? What are we going to cut? So we're back with the second half of season four in a couple of weeks. We'll go through the fall, and then we're on to season five for next year when I think the uh, the campaign will make the circus look like a zoo. And it's going to be fantastic. People are going to be dialed in. It's going to be, a, you know, I think people on both sides of the aisle and anywhere in the middle, people are just fascinated by what's going on. So the circus is just a quick documentary, fun, loose, fast, a uh, way that people who you know can't sit around and watch cable 24 hours a day can tune in Sunday night and kind of get a just a quick take on what's going on. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that that I'm really impressed by on the show is the way in which you're able to take something somebody says, uh, an interaction that they have uh, and then almost immediately show how quickly uh they go back on what they're saying, right? Uh, you showed the president <laughs> saying, uh, Jeff Sessions, I haven't really made a whole lot of decisions about what's going to happen with him. Uh, it's going to be a while. And then three hours later, uh, CNN is reporting that he's, that he's fired. Uh, that kind of um, sort of pulling those out has got to be t- incredibly tedious work. I just am always like, how are they able to, to get all this stuff uh, and, and put it into these episodes that way? Well, that was the real challenge of the show, and that's why it took years to get somebody to agree to do it, because it, it is, as, as it says in the title, uh, a real-time documentary. That means that we don't you know, record months of stuff and then show it to you a year from now. We record, you know, we start Monday and we show it to you Sunday night. Right. Showtime doesn't <laughs> see the show until Sunday morning that's going to air that night. So oh my goodness. It's, it's, a, it's a ton of pressure and work, but it's very exciting. Yeah. And we're honored to be out there kind of reflecting what's happening out there in American politics today. Okay. Mark McKinnon, co-host of the documentary series The Circus on Showtime, former chief media advisor to George W. Bush. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Kick it. Today. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for me this week. Uh, I'll be back Monday, and you're going to hear my conversations with former Obama senior advisor Valerie Jarrett, as well as Hamilton producer Jeff Sellers. Detroit Today is produced by Jake Neer and Anna Marie Seisling. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Our technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. And our associate producers are Elena Fruget and Katie Swift. Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again on Monday.